Hello and welcome to Personally Invested. I'm your host, Dave Richardson. Today I am really excited to have Dagmara Filkowski, someone that I have worked with for over 20 years and I admire greatly, not just professionally, but personally, and, and you'll see why through the discussion. Dagmara is the head of Global Fixed Income and Currencies at RBC Global Asset Management, and she shares her uh, move from Poland to Canada, her education, the way that fixed income investment management has evolved over the last 25 years, uh, an area that she's been a leader in, and her passion for fixed income and doing everything well, including baking Portuguese tarts. I think you'll love our conversation. Dagmara, welcome. We uh, we finally able to uh, to arrange this. We've been trying for about two years uh, to to get you on personally invested. So it's very very nice to have you here. Well, thank you. And uh, as as you know, uh, we well we worked together for uh, over twenty years now. I was going to say a while. A while. So if you if you prefer a while, but uh, and and I'll have to contain myself because uh, I have an enormous admiration for uh, for Dagmara, not just what she does uh, for investors in Canada, uh, but just as a as a person as well. So uh, so I, I if if I come across as a little bit too enthusiastic about our guest today, uh, it is genuine. Uh, because uh, Dagmara is just a, a phenomenal human being, and you'll 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 see that as we go through the uh, through the podcast today. We should end now. You oh well, that's uh, we, we we could that's uh, that's quick. We probably get uh, better viewership or yeah. listenership if uh, if they don't have to listen to uh, to twenty thirty. Everything's been said. So uh, I, I I read out your title uh, in in the introduction, and you, you just kind of go wow. Uh, that's an incredible title, and I imagine that when you were a uh, a five year old in Poland, uh, a young girl, that is what you dreamt of being: coming to Canada and being the uh, the head of uh, fixed income and currency management at Canada's largest investment manager. That was your your dream all along. You got it. <laughs> you know, wow, this is going to be a quick podcast with answers like that. But when, when when did you when did you know that this was the direction you you, you wanted to go in for for your career? Um, well, it took me a while, um, which I don't think is that unusual. Um, I, um, as you said, I started my life in Poland. I moved to Canada at uh, twenty two, uh, and um, I had an economics degree from Poland, uh, which. Um, I wasn't able to really utilize in Canada if I wanted to stay here. So the natural step was to get the Canadian educational stamp of approval, uh, i.e. MBA uh, at uh, Western University. Uh, And that helped me also to narrow down um, what fields I like in business. So uh, I looked at the MBA, the two years of MBA as a kind of massive buffet of options. And I was slowly eliminating the ones that I didn't particularly like. Uh, or I thought, I felt uh, that I'm not playing to my strengths. And in the end, I ended up with, uh, finance, uh, and capital markets. Uh, so, uh, I started, um, when I started my job search, I was looking, um, in that direction. But even then, I must say, I did not, 
know about asset management as an area to build a career in. Uh, all my colleagues uh, wanted to be either management consultants or investment bankers. Um, and so, like most of them, I said, well, that sounds pretty good. Um, and uh, only when I joined RBC in the financial management training program and I had a chance to look around a bit more, I narrowed uh, down my uh, my direction where I want to go. I always say you don't, can't say like, okay, I want to be exactly this. Life may um, not agree with that choice, but kind of direction. And my direction was uh, towards capital markets. Um, and I uh, realized that really asset management, being investment uh, manager, thinking longer term, uh, that's the path I want to uh, to go for. Um, and this is Took a while, but um, sure. uh, I spent the first uh, two and a half years of my RBC career in corporate treasury uh, and then moved into RBC asset management. At that time, we were called RBIM. RBIM, yes. Yeah. Yes, many years ago. Well, not too many, a while ago. A while. That's what we've, we've, <laughs> we've, uh, we've, we've decided. We won't on. be counting exactly the years. So, so my, my, uh, my you, 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 uh, you, you know my wife, uh, Donna. Uh, and uh, her and her family are going to be celebrating in uh, in April uh, 50 years since they, mm-hmm. uh, they immigrated to Canada. We're going to do a whole big celebration. Uh, your decision to immigrate to Canada as opposed to somewhere else in Europe or the United mm-hmm. States, and, and, and what was that experience like for someone coming from... Uh, from Poland, uh, language, what, what was the experience like? Well, please congratulate Donna. Uh, I myself celebrated uh, 30 years in Canada last August, had a big party. Um, and um, yeah, I, I must say that it wasn't a specific decision to emigrate to Canada. Um, I never kind of woke up and said, well, I'm, I'm moving, Take packed my suitcases and, and left. Um, it's very much, uh, along the opportunistic path. Um, I was in my, uh, university in Poland and, uh, applied for an internship with, uh, an organization called ISEC, uh, which is International Association of Students of Economics and Management, uh, whose main activity is organizing, uh, internships for students around the world. Uh, at that time it was 78 countries. Internships give you a chance to get practical experience. Length is from three months to a year and a half. So I, uh, was uh, really lucky to get matched to a company in Toronto, uh, one of the big accounting firms. Um, and I came for an internship with, that was meant to last six months. Uh, that was 1989. And um, the internship was extended to the maximum amount it could be extended to, uh, which was a year and a half. Uh, some Sometime within that year and a half, um, I... Uh, met somebody who was studying MBA uh, at uh, Richard Ivey School of Business. That sounded eye-opening, fantastic, and almost unbelievably good. Uh, And that idea kind of made my mind um, turn and think, well, if they could, maybe I could. Uh, And what would it need, uh, what would need to happen? And uh, so it's kind of one thing led to another. And 
as I explored the possibility of doing my MBA, um, I also applied for landed immigrant status in Canada. Um, and um, these things followed. Um, not as easy as I make it sound, but we could be here for a very long time if I went through all the details of this. Um, but it's kind of a purposeful decision to further my education that led me to stay in Canada. Uh, and after her graduation, uh, while I contemplated going back to Poland, I also felt um, the opportunity to get practical experience in Canada in one of the financial institutions here uh, would be incredibly valuable. So kind of one thing led to another, and yeah. here I am 30 years later. Wow. And, uh, and, and I, I think the only, uh, the, the only thing that, uh, uh, that, that would make that story better is it's, it's too bad you didn't meet somebody from the University of Toronto. It's a, it's a better school than Western, <laughs> but that's just my opinion. We, Can uh, you cut it out, please? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we can't cut that out. And, uh, now, now I, I know, and, and it, and it comes through in, 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 in your response is, and, and with so many people that we've talked to, uh, on, on this podcast, uh, is that passion for learning, continuous learning. Uh, how, how do you describe that to, to other people who are around you? Because I know when, 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 when people uh, sit and talk with you, they're just always fascinated by the breadth of knowledge that you have, um, what you're, all, all the things you're thinking about and reading about and learning about, which is so critical to being effective in your job. What does learning mean to you? Um. Well, if I wanted to be very, very, very honest, and I wouldn't be very, very honest in such a broad forum as we are, right? Uh, it's um, it's really about keeping up with the world. And I feel like I always have something else to learn. And I feel the people that I'm surrounded with know so, uh, so much more. Yes. I'm just trying to keep up. Yes. It's it's hard to keep up with someone like a Dan Chornis who we've uh, who who we've had on the broadcast. What's 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 it like uh, working with Dan for, for for so many years? And and again, that 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 culture uh, that he's built in the investment management business. Of course, you're you're you've been such a big part of building that 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 culture as well. Uh, well, Dan is actually a good example of somebody who likes to learn all the time. But uh, I think what adds to our desire to learn is that we are a global firm and exposed to people from really different backgrounds, different educational systems. And these people stimulate us to learn more. Uh, I think uh, that openness to different financial centers, um, as you know, uh, part of our team is in London and I work uh, really, really close with Subuchia and our team there. And um, through that, we're exposed to our equity teams there. There is always some new idea that uh, gets your mind percolating and thinking, oh, uh, never mind just, just the simple things like, oh, I read this book and have you seen it? And it perhaps uh, makes you think about um, something that you haven't thought about before. Um, but uh, as I said, like the environment that we work in makes us want to reciprocate and just keep up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so let's, um, let, let's shift into, to, to your responsibilities and, mm -hmm. and, and what you do every day now. 
Uh, talk, talk about the breadth of your responsibilities. Again, you, you touched on our offices in, uh, in London and mm-hmm. uh, all, all around the world. Uh, so the, uh, the, the, the teams and, and the scope of what you're responsible for. Um, so I'm responsible now for the global fixed income and currencies team of global asset management, which uh, means really all fixed income professionals except for Pigeon and, and Blueberry. Uh, the team is now over 40 people strong. Uh, we work in Toronto, Minneapolis, uh, and London. Um, and we cover a really broad uh, range of uh, fixed income um, products, starting from the simplest money markets and uh, Canadian government debt through our sovereign debt, investment grade uh, securities, uh, through high yield emerging markets, uh, and of course, FX. FX is my special love, but um, that... Uh, that team has grown considerably, as you know. Uh, <laughs> ironically, when I was uh, first hired by Arbim, uh, the fixed income team was four people. Um, and I was wow. the first ever analyst hired uh, in fixed income because at that time, um, the model was very much Fund managers are employed by asset management companies. Uh, they consume research provided by the sell side. Um, so the in-house analysts uh, was a new thing. Ironically, also at that time, I think partially the reason why uh, analyst was uh, needed was that uh, we worried as a firm that interest rates cannot go any lower. Uh, so uh, 10-year Canada, I think, was about 5%. They, so as a result, we better figure out some other uh, ways to add value. Uh, and from that came, okay, we should diversify outside of Canada. Uh, we should uh, learn how to manage credit, high-yield emerging markets. All these capabilities yes. uh, were built pretty much in the following five years. Um, and then we build depth, of course, uh, of the teams there. And even though we were terribly, terribly wrong in our assessment, <laughs> how low can interest rates go? Adding these capabilities only helped us be better and produce better results for the clients. Uh, so while the premise of the decision was wrong, the yeah. outcome was very valuable because it gave us this uh, breadth of capabilities, which helped tremendously. Yeah. And, and, and I, I know watching different presentations that you've delivered over the years uh, that you, 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 you compare and contrast the difference and, and how fixed income investment management has evolved since the late 1990s to today. It's, it's, it's night and day. Yes, um, so when I was starting as an analyst, what, um, what I came to and what I was learning from um, people who were um, experienced five fund managers at the time was that fixed income management is about um, calling interest rate direction. Yes. Uh, and that's a very limited tool, as we know now. Uh, you probably had seen me uh, present this um, chart from Wall Street Journal when they survey the 
uh, um, Wall Street and economists about the direction of interest rates on 10-year uh, treasury six months out. And yes. the accuracy on that has been dismal over the years. And actually very consistently dismal, about one-third right, two-thirds wrong odds. Um, we had... Um, so that was the, the dominant tool uh, for a fixed income fund manager at the time. Uh, if you looked up the annual report of our flagship bond fund from 1997, uh, that fund, which was top of the line and along other uh, fixed income funds, I think performance was um, um, very uh, commendable. Performance yeah, yeah. was quite good. Very good performance. Um, it had 20 bonds. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. over 2 billion in size. It had 20 bonds. And if I remember correctly, I think 14 of them were Government of Canada bonds and the yes. other ones were provincial bonds. Uh, if you bother to look at our annual report now, you know that complexity has grown significantly um, and that we have many, many, many more tools at our disposal. So uh, we like to say we, we follow multi-strategy approach we de-emphasize reliance on interest rate call because it's fairly low information ratio yes. uh, call. We don't ever we don't say that we never will make an interest rate call. We do, but it has to be at uh, times during the cycle when we believe the odds are in our favor, yes. uh, and we have to have really high conviction levels. Uh, at other times, we try to focus on areas uh, where the uh, ability to add value is higher with higher information ratios. And we try to be able to always uh, find some opportunity in the market. I often refer to it like you want to have an airplane with many, many engines, yeah. just in case one of them fails. Y yes. Uh, you have others to rely on. But you could also say, you know, uh, if I have more tools uh, than just interest rate call or than just uh, Canadian credit, uh, I don't feel obliged to squeeze an opportunity out of that area. I can go where the opportunity is. Um, and that has been uh, extremely important to our success, that ability to go and look for opportunities uh, in other areas, but also have uh, the resources to yes. look for these opportunities, which came, of course, with the growth uh, of RBC Global Asset Management, that we can have these opportunities. Yeah, now. and, and it, it, it's so it, it, it's always amazing to me, and I spend a lot of time right across Canada uh, talking to different uh, advisors and 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 investors as well, and that investors very quickly on the equity side seem to gain an appreciation for the importance of diversification of the portfolio, particularly along geographic lines. Uh, in fixed income, it seemed to take uh, investors a lot longer, right. and yet fixed income markets are broader, deeper, and it's just as important to have that diversification uh, in your fixed income portfolio. Absolutely. And <laughs> Uh, this week, I was speaking to large investors who asked the question why they should invest in global bonds outside other than Canadian bonds. Yes. Um, to me, quite astonishing because these are very smart people and in normal circumstances, everybody understands the benefits of 
diversification, uh, you have to almost illustrate it for fixed income that the same rules apply, uh, especially especially if you uh, invest in global fixed income on a currency hedged basis. Yes. Uh, so as you know, we treat currencies as a separate asset class. Uh, we do not take passive currency risk. Uh, we uh, very carefully um, measure risk taken, active risk taken in currencies. And that allows us, uh, when we are invested in global portfolios, to be um, uh, to not change uh, the characteristics of what people expect of fixed income. Yes. So our global bond fund, for example, even though we do take active currency risk, uh, has volatility that's very similar uh, to a um, fully hedged global bond fund uh, and in line with volatility of a Canadian uh, bond universe. So uh, by going outside of Canada, investors are not taking more risks, actually are exposing our, themselves to more alpha opportunities, yes. uh, which results in higher sharp ratios. Uh, but again, I want to go back to the team the reason why we're able to do that is because um, we have been able to build a very broad and deep team, yes. um, quite unique in the industry. And I, I think uh, that uniqueness really has to be highlighted. Um, uh, we've, within our team, we have... Um, probably the lowest turnover that I have seen in any team ever. Yes. Um, there are 15 people, 14 people on the team that I have worked with longer than uh, 15 years. Yes. Uh, and uh, there are 20 people that we have worked for longer than 10 years. Uh, and the people that are under that time, uh, limit is simply because they're too young to have worked yes, yes. with us longer. Yes. We have made very conscious decision to build depth of that team, to build in succession. Um, a good example of that had been when, you know, last December, Jane Leslie, our long-term uh, emerging market bond manager, retired. Um, and I had actually people calling me from outside and say, well, are you looking for an EM bond manager? I'm like, why, why would I look for it? Oh, oh, you mean you heard about Jane retiring? Yes. No, 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 no. David Nava, who is taking over the role of the lead EM bond manager, had been uh, has been with us since 2004. In the first few years, we knew that he has what it takes to be a fund manager. And for the past 10 years, he's been working as a fund manager alongside Jane. So he's well prepared to take on the yes. lead role. Um, not only that, we had hired Andrew, uh, who is by now senior uh, analyst in EM and very uh, capable um, aide to, uh, to David. Uh, and now we, we're ready to add a younger generation and Errol came along. So we always try to plan the depth uh, of and succession uh, in each area of the team, uh, whether it applies to investment grade or high yield or, uh, or EM or currencies. Um, we're very lucky this way. I think yeah. that the size of the assets under management allows us to uh, 
to have this foresight and to execute on it. Yeah, and 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 I I, I think as always you're 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 a little bit too modest in 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 terms of your description of that because it, it's very unusual in this industry. This is an industry where where people move around, they move from firm to firm, to have that kind of consistency on the team, and the commitment to bring people along to to continually learn, which we talked about earlier, uh, so that they're ready to make the next step when when someone does ultimately retire. But it's building that culture. And that ability for people to thrive and grow within the team, uh, that, that's so critical and just a hallmark of, of, of the way you've built the team around the world. Is that, I think it's about the trust that our interest is um, the same. Uh, when I say our, I mean GAM's interest and individual's interest. We want you to have a successful career yes. and try to find a way to enable you having a successful career. That means coaching from the more senior members of the team, but also figuring out what is it, where, where do you fit best? Yeah. Where can you thrive? Um, and there are some, uh, we have moved some members of the team around until we found a place where, where they thrive and can contribute uh, best and uh, and I'm really pleased about that. Um, this team also is very diverse. Yes. Um, and I uh, as it's not by design, but I was looking recently um, at the names for um, of the team, and as I counted it, I realized that uh, half of us are Canadians who were born outside of Canada. Uh, so it's very aligned with Toronto statistics where you hear that a lot of people living in Toronto are born outside of Canada, but it's very unique in this industry. Uh, that's, uh, and again, it's not that we build it by design. It happened like this because we always, when we are hiring, we're looking for people for, that bring something else to the table. Yes. Are complementary in some ways. Um, know something that I don't know or we don't know collectively. Um, and I think uh, that has been extremely beneficial to, to that global fixed income aspect of the yes. team. Yes, we manage a lot of Canadian assets. But as the world has become more global, more interconnected. Capital markets more, are more interconnected. Um, you, even, you can't even manage Canadian bonds without that recognition, right? So having that team uh, that has uh, cultural uh, and educational diversity, uh, I think is, is uh, very valuable. And, and, and that's been a theme that has been consistent uh, as, as we've interviewed different people on, on this podcast, uh, is the value of diversity, the commitment to diversity, uh, and and the value that it brings in in managing money, as you say, in a in a, in a global economy. And 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 mm -hmm. you, I know, are are very strongly committed to to diversity and the value it brings. Yeah, uh, not diversity for diversity's sake, Six, but yes. diversity uh, for sake of filling in the gaps. Yeah. Yes. So let's uh, we, we we let let's finish off on on what you you, you reference already as as your passion currency uh, FX. Mm -hmm. uh, and if if people uh, if investors tend to discount the importance of diversification, 
in their fixed income portfolio, they probably discount even more the impact that currency has mm-hmm. and, and, and don't think enough about the currency impact in the way they think about their portfolio. Why do you think people should, well, first of all, why do you spend so much time uh, with your team thinking about currency and why do you think investors need to pay more attention to it? Uh, well, I think if you ignore it, it's a source of volatility that will bite you. Uh, yeah. If you pay attention to it, it's a source of volatility that can add value. Uh, so we choose to pay attention to it. I started, as I mentioned, as a, a global fixed income analyst, and it wasn't long before I realized at that time we were managing global bond portfolio on an unhedged basis. It wasn't long that I realized that... Um, vast uh, majority of volatility of the returns comes from FX side. Uh, yet, as fixed income managers, we want to talk about our interest rate calls yeah. and evaluation yeah. of the monetary policy and what did central banks say and what yeah. were the growth numbers and is inflation going to surprise on the upside or downside. Um, so um, then I, we read some uh, academic studies and we confirmed them ourselves that Historically, it doesn't matter what uh, investors you are, whether you're Canadian, um, British, American, European investor, uh, in an unhedged global bond portfolio, um, 70, 80% of returns come, uh, volatility of returns comes from FX. So it's effectively an FX dog that wags the fixed income tail, yeah. uh, which led us to the decision a long time ago in 1999, uh, to switch our fixed income portfolios to be managed on a fully currency hedged basis. That doesn't mean that uh, we don't pay attention to currency, we hedge and forget. Uh, as I said, currencies have been my uh, my uh, first love uh, in active management. Uh, I think they um, often kind of dismissed because over long term, uh, people believe that they wash out. Um, and uh, are too frustrating to call, uh, and as a result, often kind of left alone. But I think that creates an opportunity for us. We have uh, chosen to treat currencies as an asset class, as I mentioned yes. earlier. Uh, we uh, spent a considerable amount of research uh, on uh, currencies, uh, and we believe that when treated uh, seriously and with caution, uh, measured carefully, uh, they have been um, a really good source of additional value added for us and um, provide diversification because of uh, negative correlation with credit, uh, especially in the case of the U.S. dollar. So um, uh, we, uh, yeah, we we spent we spent considerable amount of time on active currency management as a team. Uh, and added in a very measured way uh, as another tool to our fixed income portfolios. These are still fixed income portfolios, but with a judicious addition of effects. And it it adds tons of value over time, which is is ultimately what you want to do for investors. So I'll I'll just finish off with with one last question that's that's a little more personal. You say carefully measured. I know the last time we were, uh, we we spent any time together, we were in in London, England. Uh, my, My wife was along and you were doing a baking course. 
and you uh, oh, you yeah. shared a recipe uh, for pastechnada, uh, which is uh, my my wife is Portuguese, and she uh, she always wanted to bake them, and then sure enough, she uh, she she saw the picture of your uh, of your results, and then we compared it to our results at home. We didn't do that well, Dagmara. So <laughs> well, what what are what are you currently mastering on the side? I was I was under the supervision of a baker. Uh, when I took that picture. Yeah. So uh, it's a bit of a cheating and I haven't baked them since. That was almost two years ago. Yeah. Uh, no, a year ago. A year I ago, think. yes. Um, well, I'll disappoint you. Oh. Uh, I am not baking. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not even cooking anymore. <laughs> um, that's a part of, uh, you know, um, we haven't really talked in, uh, today about it, but you have to make choices in your life. Yes. Uh, and when, say, 20 years ago, I would say I spent time in the kitchen and I was quite a good cook. Um, these choices led me to pretty much abandon uh, the kitchen other than during vacation, as it happened to be yeah. in Portugal, taking a course how to make pastel de nata. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so none since, unfortunately. Oh, well, we'll... Uh... Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll see what we uh, what we stumble across uh, the the next time we're in in London because there's uh, there's always interesting things to eat there. But uh, Dagmara, thank you uh, thank you again so much for your time today. It was uh, just a real pleasure getting a chance to sit down and talk to you today. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to Personally Invested. If you have suggestions for future podcasts, please email us at rbcgampodcasts at rbc.com.